In the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. This podcast is brought to you by Eggplant. Eggplant help businesses to test, monitor, and analyze their end-to-end customer experience and continuously improve their business outcomes. Welcome to the show, Mike Harris. He's a fellow BCS committee member. He's uh, been doing testing since the the 90s, you know, and he's also um, been doing some latest and greatest testing against things like GraphQL. And, you know, I'm I'm facing that challenge. And if it wasn't for your Ministry of Testing blog, you know, helping people understand the importance of maybe exploratory. And, but, you know, this is a different world. Where, Where did you start? With GraphQL or with, with testing? Well, with testing in general. All right, okay. So, yeah, I graduated uh, from Middlesex University in the late 90s, and uh, I joined uh, Shell to work on their uh, data warehouse project and uh, became a tester for the team. Uh, it was a long time ago. Uh, the testers were at one end of the room and the developers were at the other end of the room. We weren't encouraged to talk. So a lot of manual testing and releases every few months. Um, I learned an awful lot. There were some really good people there. Um, uh, learned a bit about test automation, learned about uh, uh, manual testing. Uh, went to my first SIGIS conferences, I think, back, back then. Uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, I sort of come forward from there. Um, uh, before that, I, I'd actually worked with British Gas and uh, I ran a small sales team in North London. And I was one of 40,000 people who were laid off in the late 90s. So this was a second career for me, I think, like a lot of testers. Um, and so, uh, you know, I've, I've worked with Shell and so the data warehouse team was broken out into a, a startup called Kaleido. Um, and I was... Uh, uh, running as uh, an offshore uh, testing team based in India for them for a while and went from there I went to a startup in Kentish Town uh, where initially I was the only tester I called Active Standards uh, we were successful, we got the growth curve which everyone wants and we grew and we had a, a test team we moved from Waterfall to uh, Lean and Agile we moved from monthly releases to continuous delivery and uh, I learned a tremendous amount in that process uh, and uh, so a lot of reference points for me there, still in touch with the people there as well which is uh, really nice and, uh, and I moved from there to, to Gecko Board um, where I'm currently the, the, the tester at Gecko Board and I'm involved in uh, automation and testing and uh, sort of helping with the development teams there. It's fascinating because, um, you know, that kind of exec dashboard aspect is like the holy grail, what Gecko Board do, of kind of giving people, you know, KPIs that actually really matter to their business, right? Um, but, you know, t- testing that, that was my first hardest thing I ever found in automation was, you know, I worked for a company and they, they made a graph come out of the back of it. And I was thinking, 
how do I know that graph actually has the blocks in it at the right position or that pie chart is correct? Right. You know, there's a lot of challenges with that visualization of KPIs, you know. So, so what kind of approaches do you do? I know you we're going to refer to your blog and, you know, the, the exploratory work you've been doing to kind of, you know, catch things earlier in before they're actually visualized using, you know, graph query language. Um, so, you know, what tips do you have for people who are kind of dealing with, you know, those kind of complex challenges? I, I think for me, a lot of it was just about uh, controlling the data that was going into a system, having lots of different data sources, um, with support of a very large number of integrations uh, into Gecko board. So actually having data that I can put into those integrations and know what I'm meant to be seeing in the front end, uh, that was really important. Uh, the thing I enjoyed about GraphQL was uh, that actually you had a lot of control because you were in the middle layer of the application. And uh, the, the, I love the schema in GraphQL because I could use that as a reference point. You could go back and you could see what all the uh, mutations and the queries were that were being run in GraphQL. And you could check, oh, yes, I've got a test for that one. I've got a test for that one. Oh, I haven't got for that one. Okay, that's what I've got to do. And it's, it was really nicely laid out for me as a tester. It was sort of a dream, you know, um, rather than having to wait through different code, uh, code repos. It was all in the one place. And then once you've got a basic coverage, you could then build up the coverage that you wanted uh, on those different queries and mutations. So I, I thought GraphQL was a uh, a great help as a tester, which was why I, I, I wrote the article. Um, it was quite fun working on it then because we were quite early. At that point, tools like Postman didn't support GraphQL, they do now. Um, so we were having to do things for ourselves, and uh, that, that was, uh, you know, it was fun and it was successful, so that was great. Yeah, I, I must admit, you know, I, I, I struggled when I first got, you know, started using things like Neo4j uh, and GraphDBs because, you know, it, it added an extra layer of complexity. You know, people had just kind of got their head around NoSQL and, you know, that kind of, well, you know, what now you've got this whole node relationship node, which has multiple relationships that spiral out into these hugely complex things, but they're very visual. So as a tester, you know, the, the example we were working on was for, uh, uh, for, for Amazon, right? So the relationship between data and categories. So, you know, in the US, they have XXL. We don't have an equivalent size. You know, there's different right. size mappings based on different locales, you know, plus, you know, then there's the relationship between products and categories. So, you know, a, a baby car chair is in the category of automobiles and also baby and child, right? So you've got all these different relationships, which, you know, you're testing, right? You're kind of thinking, I've got to test all these different permutations. You know, I actually had a, an interview today with Hugh Price around test data and generating test data for these kind of systems. Mm -hmm. You know, do you, how did you go about kind of, you said lots of different input sources from integrations, but how do you control that, you know, the, did you did you mock and stub those endpoints out so you could control the, the flow of data or was it real real data coming from these third-party applications? Well, the first use of GraphQL for us was actually uh, on our database integrations. So we were supporting a, a range of RDBMSs, uh, different versions of them. So for me, there was a research in um, finding the boundary values on the different types of uh, data. Um, so that, that was an important setting up. So I wanted to test. Uh, I had a colleague then, John, uh, John Normington, who uh, 
created some tests where he was uh, creating lots of random values which were firing at the system and seeing what results these produced. Um, and that was really very helpful in the early stages of development because we were, it could run far more test cases than we could. And we found lots of interesting things happening. Um, whereas the uh, tests which I was, I was writing looking at the boundary values were, have now become part of our regression suite. So there was different approaches taken for, for, to get different results and, and able to explore different parts of the application. Yeah, and I noticed you'd been using the the GitHub um, Explorer. To, you mentioned about you know Postman not supporting the language as such. You know the great thing about Facebook bringing you know new technology yeah. to us is you know how do I you know get started and and start writing some 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 queries that actually are going to help me test it like you would do you know back in the day of SQL and Oracle and those kind of you know you know right. how did you get how did you learn I know you you know you, you referenced some really good Elizabeth Hendrickson for for things like Explore right. it you know you've got your you know a very strong technical testing background but you know how did you go off and and, and learn this did you did you learn it online or did you read through the the manuals, or where was your source for getting up to speed with everything? I, with uh, GraphQL, there was, was there was some stuff online, but I, I also I was speaking to developers and created queries and mutations, um, and actually kept copies of them because actually, uh, if you haven't run a QBR mutation before, it can take a different while to create them, and actually they become a reference point and they're there for us to use uh, now. Um, so there was sort of experimentation, doing some research, collaborating with my colleagues in the development team, and then sort of building up this sort of shared library that we could use. And so I said, yeah, this one caused a problem. You know, here it is. And how, how much of that was data, you know, as far as, you know, you, they're talking about the mutations, but you, obviously you have to control your test data. Did you have to, did you generate that? You know, where did you, how did you create that, um, those input sources? Uh, there were two types of testing going. My colleague John, he he, uh, he wrote um, code in Go, uh, which was generating the random code, the random data. Uh, for myself, it's a, it was research and looking for boundary values. I can remember that there was one issue I found where an RDBMS would allow a larger value for a particular type of number than GraphQL would, and we had to handle that situation. That's the sort of thing we look for as a tester. Um, so there, there were different approaches, um, and uh, uh, that's sort of how we did. One was research, and I said one was just generating random, uh, random data. And, and it sounds like you're in a really kind of sharing, collaborative kind of environment. Um, you know, did you kind of document what you were doing on on like a wiki, or you know, how did you share that information between the teams and and the developers that you were working with? Yeah, we, we have a we use Tetra as a, as a wiki, and um, yeah, I'm very keen on using that to share information on because it's there. It's a central point for the team. Everyone has access to it. Everyone can search through it. And I, I, that's why I, I've used that. I think that's extremely useful. Yeah, it's because, interesting because because I I went to my last conference. I went to someone talked about this new role as data engineer in test, and I you know okay. you know they'll create a new role every week. But you know yeah. I, I did find when I was going through and and learning this stuff that actually. You know, there's a lot of data. We had loads of data scientists who were, you know, really keen to get the information, do really cool stuff with it. Very academics coming out of university. Um, 
but then you know getting the data you know, into the right format getting it in you know understanding the you know where the te- where you te- what you're testing was such a big massive challenge for us so we ended up with a data engineer who you know in our days we may have called it you know like the etl testing the hands transform of load you know part of it is we need to understand all the transforms all the mutations that we're going to do and exhaustively test the system with you know different data sets and of, of different sizes you know i'm guessing when it comes to that front end gecko board dashboard there's a whole stack of calculations going on there and they're they're what are they real time or are they the query running the uh, graphql running every kind of few minutes to update the, the dashboards there, there are different uh, refresh rates and different types of widgets yeah and some of it's real time some of it's stored um for, for me as testing it's important to know that the right input corresponds with the right output it's a deterministic system in that way so actually that that makes it that much easier um but it, it, there is an, some effort in creating uh, uh, test data that you know is valid, that is testing uh, different boundaries and all the issues that we'd be concerned about. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that's one of the, the things I've done and actually looking at where I can store that data online. I've started using uh, GitHub disks to keep some data in as well that I'm, I'm using. So that's there. It's also there then as a resource for the rest of the team. Yeah, we had a we had a massive challenge with. I didn't realize when you're loading the data into something like Neo4j, it's just a, a .raw file, right? And it's just a huge right. set of data. And um, you know, part of it is obviously if you do any uh, mutations, you're going to the da- data is going to change, right? Um, so we were obviously in a similar kind of days to rolling back. You know, we had different processors for this and because of the data was so big you know we looked at things like virtual test data management so being able to to replicate you know only change the deltas what had changed um during the mutations and allow you know us to run tests you know clear them down and then build the environment again you know from scratch do you find that you're doing a lot more of that kind of continuous testing and deployment uh, now that you're in um you know as a, a kind of a devops pipeline I think I haven't actually had been pulling down uh, test data. I think that for the regression tests, it's actually been good to get a, 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 a set of data that can stay up, that can be used by the whole team, that uh, represents uh, and covers a lot of bases. And um, when I was looking at this, I particularly wanted different types of numbers. And what I found was a fantastic table produced by NASA on attributes for the different planets. Um, because planets have different densities, gravities, whatever, so you get large numbers, small numbers, uh, floating point numbers, uh, integers, uh, negative numbers, and I, I was able to use that as the basis of what I, uh, I wanted, and I found that the, the, there were some very large numbers that weren't included in our, our solar system's planets, so uh, I had to create some planets, so I've got some uh, Klingon planets with their names, which has got the particularly large numbers, and this gave a a set of data which the whole development team could use. And if they, they didn't want the, the large numbers, then they could exclude the Klingon planets and just have the, uh, um, the, our solar system. So that, that was, uh, an, uh, I think, an, an important contribution to the data that we used. But the, the other piece of code which John wrote actually was just random and it ran every time. It was different every time. And uh, so there wasn't a case of pulling anything down. It was just 
an automated process that ran every time. We don't run those tests now. They were useful for the creation of the, the interface. But actually, now that the interface is established, this other data set, which, as I say, is based on NASA's table of planets, um, was actually is, is what we're actually using. And uh, it's, it's very useful. That's super smart because the good thing is that you also know that the you can go and test what the data is, right? So you can go off and say, well, mm-hmm. how far is the moon from this planet? And you'll get a number and you'll be able to check that that number was right. And that was what we, right. were, we were finding as a real challenge was, you know, the traditional way of doing an assertion and trying to look for a value, you know, and like you said, if you're putting in, you know, randomized data, it's a bit like Monte Carlo algorithms. You know, you put the same data, but you get different outputs each time. So part of it is you're looking for those mutations or those patterns that you're expecting, and then you're validating those. Which, but it does make it really hard for things like automation. Um, you know, do you find that you're being more exploratory with the, but from a data engineer's kind of hat on than you are creating, you know, repeatable automation assets, or is it a balance? I think there's a balance there. I think that what I found is I've been doing exploration and so actually I want to automate that part. Uh, the exploration, I'd find something, well, actually it's broken, I can't automate that, but when it comes back and it's fixed, I will. And that way you can build up your tests. Um, but yeah, I think that there's a there's mixture there. I think that also what, what I found interesting about it is that we tend to think of uh, exploratory testing as being done through the UI. And actually... Something that Elizabeth Henderson refers to in her book is the fact that you can use the same techniques on an API. So actually, if you look at the API, you looked at your GraphQL query or mutation, it took certain inputs, it should give certain outputs. And as a tester, you can then work out what you would do with those inputs and what you expect to get back. Um, and so when you're writing the test at the GraphQL level, that's how you're, you're working. I found that interesting. Um, I quite enjoyed working at what you could do with different inputs and outputs, different types of numbers here, what came, what comes out, what you should get back. Um, and then, okay, that, I've got that test, that's useful, that covers these bases. I will automate that one and that will go into the regression pack. Uh, so you could get coverage and you'd be learning at the same time. That's very clever. And so did you find, uh, you know, obviously collaborating quite closely for, with the development team, you know, were you saving these kind of, these queries that you created uh, as code in GitHub or, you know, was they running as part of the build process in Jenkins or something? Well, how did, how did the, the, reg- the regression pa- uh, pack evolve? Well, the regression pack ran on every build uh, in Circle CI, And uh, yeah, so it was integrated and built up over time and the uh, code's all stored in GitHub. Yeah. So yeah, that's that a normal CI process, um, which enabled us to move quickly. Um, we do continuous deployments, uh, and uh, that's great. That's, it's good to see how quickly a team can move. And, and as far as, you know, you talked about the fact that you're polling data at a certain rate, depending on the type of widget. You know, was there any other kind of non-functional kind of challenges that you had like performance you know if it was taking trying to read the data from a source too often or you know what what kind of challenges did you come with uh you know from a non-functional perspective yeah we the issue that's the conventional things how, how quickly does the uh ui uh, recover uh, how it could be to refresh um what sort of performance people are getting we have got automated tests that run uh 
on production regularly and uh, these give us feedback. We can run through a series of steps on the UI and see how quickly it happens. And uh, yeah, so actually that, that's an ongoing part of the process that we, we, we have. And obviously it's very important. It's, as a tester, we know it doesn't, it's not good enough. It just works. It's got to work in a, a way that the customer finds uh, acceptable and useful. So it's got to re refresh a particular rate and give data at a quicker rate and respond to their actions quickly enough. So do you find you're doing things like contract testing? See, this is one of the things we were kind of doing because we had, you know, we were injecting data into a, an API, uh, a REST API. It was then going on to Kafka. The consumers and producers, depending on how many consumers you had, would take that data, stick it into Neo4j, it'd do all the mutations, and eventually somewhat the, at the front, the UI would do a, a, a GraphQL to see if the, the values change, right? But from the point where you're injecting the data, which I guess is where the third party is providing some kind of data to the point where it appears on the screen, you know, do you do the kind of the end-to-end -end testing and measure that as a, as a full con contract? Or is it, do you break it down into each one of the components and test them in isolation through build and CI, and then you do that end to end with a real, you know, real, real stream. Or how, how do you do that? We've got some integration engineers who are involved in that side. Um, I've, I've written some tests for the performance. Uh, these have been tests really more looking at how the UI perform, performs and make sure the UI continues to work as the customer would expect it to. Um, but actually, we've got integration engineers who will be. I think doing both of the things that you suggest, looking at uh, how each individual component works and actually they're looking at how end to end process, uh, but it's, I'm, I'm not involved in that. And, um, and as your end customer, do they have, does it have a mobile app as well as a, a dashboard which they can put on a, a screen or what, what, what's typically the usage for your end customers? We, we do have a mobile app as well. So um, you can log in, see on your phone, you can share information on your phone. Um, it can also be put up on the TV in an office, but actually at the moment people are using the mobile app far more. Um, and so we're working on a Slack integration at the moment as well, so you'll be able to send uh, your dashboard through to your Slack channel. That's, that's very clever. So, you know, part of, I guess it's chat ops that you're talking about here is, you know, you potentially your bot slash widget can then say, you know, show me today's, um, you know, all the orders that you've made today. And then it'll post that information into Slack. And of course, you could probably export it. Um, so you could share it internally uh, from an executive perspective. Um, you know, you mentioned there that there's been a switch between kind of, you know, obviously coexisting. You know, I, I love organizations. I'm always fascinated when I go into an organization and they've got a dashboard in the back, right? And I, I worked mm -hmm. for a pizza company once uh, based near where you're talking in uh, in Hertfordshire, Bedf Bedford, um, sure, kind of that direction. And they used to have an enemy pizzas are coming through. Um, you know, yeah. pizza orders. And I always used to look up, go and look at it and go, oh, this is really interesting. It was things like they'd spent a huge amount of time testing the Xbox version of the pizza ordering platform, but only two orders would ever come through there. Uh, oh, but, right. you, know, you know, part of the other ones, the mobile was huge. And then, 
you know, you then got in the States, they ha- you could order a pizza on Twitter, you could order a pizza through your TV. You know, there's all these different channels that they're doing. Yeah. So is, I'm guessing your kind of, your custom, that's the kind of stuff that your customers have. And, you know, the accuracy is really important because there's a trust in your kind of transparency yeah. of data. Sure. So do you find that you have, you know, you have like end of month or end of day kind of calculations like you would do with an overnight batch to kind of say, yes, all, all the data that we've shown is correct and was accurate um, or, or is that kind of not necessary because you've already tested it? We, 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 the, the, we've got a, an automated test that runs to check that the numbers you see in the front end are correct for uh, the, the data inputs. Um, the widgets that people use to display their data can use a whole range of different uh, date end dates or date periods. So we would need to test those as well. Um, so there isn't a sort of a batch at the end of the day. It's more like the data's there and actually you want to see it for today, for last week, for last month, for last quarter or some date that you particularly, date period that you're interested in. And uh, so we, we need to be able to make sure you've got the right numbers and actually that they are visualized in the way that is useful for you. Because actually it's about uh, products many ways making, communicating visually. Yeah, it's, 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 it's so interesting because, you know, you might be looking at a period of time and that could mean something to the business. You know, that could be, you know, orders of pizzas from, you know, seven when they, they've opened versus what in the afternoon if there's more pizzas getting ordered or evenings or after nine o'clock on a Friday. You know, all sorts of interesting data that the, the customer needs to make decisions about how they sell their product. And, you know, I find this really fascinating, this kind of, testing in production idea of you know having synthetic tests running to check things are working you know check that you know data that's been you know is 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 correct you know do you have much involvement when when it comes to this kind of devops life cycle of the operational side of things about you know usage patterns of your products you know how people are going through how they're using the different features which widgets are the most you know sought after you know is that kind of stuff that you look at as well uh, which widgets are most used definitely which integrations are most used which visualizations they're all things that we're interested in because uh, obviously we're monitoring the ones that are most heavily used and uh, i've been involved in designing tests uh which are automated for ensuring that those things continue to work as as we expect them to uh, yeah absolutely that's really cool. So, you know, take, taking a step back from, from Gecko at the moment, I know you do loads of other voluntary work. You know, you're doing stuff, you help the, the British Computer Society Specialist Interest Group for software testing. Um, you know, what do you, what kind of, what's your role there and what kind of things do you do outside of, of your day role of tester? Sigistan, uh, Sigistan, uh, Deputy Program Chair, and Geeta's Program Chair. Between us, we're involved in developing the events that Sigist puts on. We put a webinar on uh, a couple of weeks ago with Lisa Crispin and Parveen Khan and Ian House. Uh, we're now working on the next event. Actually, we've got a committee meeting tomorrow night, and uh, we've been putting on another webinar. Uh, we're also looking at doing a morning meeting and how we're going to organise that as webinar the events. We had also were planned to be in a hall face-to-face, we're not, we can't do that now, so we're having to look at how we, we can change the events to make sure that we can continue to have webinars and events to engage people. 
because I guess it's really important to be able to get to, are you finding with not, not only the stuff that you're doing for work, but you know, the stuff you're doing for your voluntary statistic stuff as well, is that you're, you, you're, you're using a lot more zoom, a lot more kind of, you know, new technology for streaming, you know, is that, you know, something that you've seen a change over let's say the, the last 35 days? I think the technology hasn't changed. I think that we've changed actually. Um, I think that um, uh, the way that we use it's different because it's every day, it's how we work, it's a long term. Um, and actually, you know, you're not going to see that person in the office this week. Um, so any conversations you want to have have to go through Slack or Zoom or Tuple, whatever tool you're using. Um, and so I think that we've changed in that way. I was on a call with someone where they said that the company they worked with they used to have a culture of people turning off their video cameras. Uh, uh, but actually now everyone's at home. In fact, everyone's turning them on because they want to see everybody. And I think that we're all sort of hungry for social contact in that way. Um, so I, I think that actually the way we're using it's different and uh, the way that we're blending work yeah, and uh, our other life is different. Uh, before we went I said, actually, I've, said, I've, I've grown my test automation today and my radishes are starting to come through in the garden. So actually this sort of blend of work and, and uh, private life is, uh, uh, so is new, I think. Um, but lots of organisations are getting involved in Zoom for the first time. Uh, um, I'm involved in the local cricket club. I'm a voluntary coach there and... Uh, uh, this week we're starting coaching sessions over Zoom, which are going to be running in the kids' front rooms. Yeah, so I noticed you're the, your daughter's part of the, the, the cricket club. So, you know, is, is it, so what kind of things are you going to do? Are you going to set that up in people's gardens so you can, they can work on their, their, their technique? You know, do you, you know, this is a quite an exciting new medium for, for coaching, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's been lots of interesting things that people have done of, of innovation, innovative ways of working um, with uh, kids at home. So the, the different routines you can have for um, batting, um, uh, for bowling, for your catching, for fielding. And uh, these sessions that are going to start this weekend will be run by the club's director of cricket. Um, but there's, um, we've got a, a challenge running at the moment where uh, yesterday you had to see how many times you could bounce a ball on your bat and you've got a point for each run. Today you've got to set up two cones seven metres apart in the back garden or in the hall or whatever and see how quickly you can run between if you're running between the wickets. And so there's a whole range of things that people can do and it's, it's great seeing people being imaginative and actually sort of learning this sort of new technologies. Yeah, and, it, and, the, and the fun aspect of it comes back, doesn't it? And I think, you know, I, I, I was speaking to, to Bob Cruz today and, you know, he was, you know, doing lots of funny things like wearing a dinosaur hat on his video conferences. You know, they, he was yeah. making, you know, their employees were getting uh, Uber Eats vouchers and all having lunch together like, a, you know, you would go yeah. down to the canteen, you know, they were doing, which I'm doing tonight, which is why I've got this in the background. I'm doing the Performance Advisory Council, you know, and, yeah. you know, it's, have a beer and do you know have a chat kind of all together in a social like you would do on a meetup you know we're seeing these changes happen um and yes some of them will be a great new platform to get more people involved um and things like cricket you know i reckon there's gonna be some interest i know you're a keen uh, conference speaker where people are 
going to be telling the lessons that they learned from from covid in a positive way of how that's yeah, yeah. changed them and their digital skills that they've learned out of the back of it you know you know do you see that as you know something that is a big positive that can come out of this <clears throat> i think it's going to be really interesting the world of work is going to be very different um i think how we collaborate is going to uh, uh change i think looking at how you collaborate uh from home, uh, where you're not going to see people from week to week. And the whole company is like that. Um, there's going to be lots of issues that are going to be different. And I think that uh, uh, there'll be lots of things to share, lots of lessons from it. Um, how you engage with people on Slack, how you engage with people on Zoom. We had fancy dress at our uh, sprint review meeting on Friday. We have a craft club on a Thursday. Uh, on Slack, we started gardening and cooking channels. Um, so my radishes will go in the gardening channel tomorrow. Um, and uh, I think these are really good to engage people uh, and have a uh, conversation. And those little conversations around when you interact, I think, are very important. And so that's good. When you start a stand-up in the morning, I facilitated stand-up this morning, actually small conversations as people start, I think, are actually very important as well. And, uh, yeah, I think there'll be a lot of lessons yet. I think that uh, we're all still learning and all still adapting because the situation is so dynamic. And sometimes in people's families, there's a lot going on as well. And you've got to give people space and support there. Oh, I think that's fantastic advice. And, you know, so uh, you've given us some great tips. You know, for those people who are listening to the podcast, you know, what's the best way to kind of reach out to you or get in touch with you or, or you know, find some of your material on MOT or you know, what, give, give uh, the listeners a bit of uh, how to best get in touch with you. Okay, I would say a good way to get in touch with me would be through Twitter. Um, you know, join uh, me DM there. That would be really good. Um, uh, I have got a British Computer Society email address, which is mikeharris at bcs.org.uk. Uh, people could contact me there. So probably Twitter is the easiest way. My handle is test and analysis. Yeah, I spotted that is a great, uh, definitely a great uh, Twitter handle. And, you know, I'm looking forward to your next blog. Uh, maybe not GraphQL, you've done that now, but, you know, so, maybe something linked to the lessons from cricket and, and combined with growing your own testing or something like that. <laughs> It'd be really exciting to see. So thanks so much, Mike uh, Harris. And I really look forward to, you know, working with you at the BCS and, and, and also seeing some of these, these uh, online conferences that you're going to be putting together. Okay, thank you very much. Speak to you soon.